64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. How does slowing down sound to you today? Would you like to reduce the noise for just a bit? Are you ready to make a choice and decide to listen? My name is Igor, SF Walker. I'm here to remind people to slow down, to reduce the noise, to walk their lives into a natural flow. Welcome back. To the book of the week series every week as i read another amazing title i share it with the world today we look at the body keeps the score mind brain and body in the transformation of trauma by bessel van der kork in this video we discover and rediscover that the imprints from the past can be transformed by having physical experiences that directly contradict the helplessness, rage, and collapse that are part of trauma, and thereby regain self-mastery. We remind ourselves of the importance of imagination. We shine light on the fact that trauma is not just an event that took place sometimes in the past. It is also the imprint left by that experience on mind, brain, and the body. We will also uncover four fundamental truths that the brain disease model overlooks. So stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I do have and use that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and all of your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, and relationship management. Trauma, by definition, is unbearable and intolerable. It takes tremendous energy to keep functioning while carrying the memory of terror and the shame of utter weakness and vulnerability. Long after a traumatic experience is over, it may be reactivated at the slightest hint of danger and mobilized disturbed brain circuits and secrete massive amounts of stress hormones. This precipitates unpleasant emotions, intense physical sensations, and impulsive and aggressive actions. These post-traumatic reactions feel incomprehensible and overwhelming. Feeling out of control, survivors of trauma often begin to fear that they are damaged to the core and beyond redemption. We can now develop methods and experiences that utilize the brain's own natural neuroplasticity to help survivors feel alive in the present and move on with their lives. There are fundamentally three avenues. Number one, top-down, by talking, connecting, or reconnecting with others and allowing ourselves to know and understand what is going on with us while processing the memories of the trauma. Number two, by taking medicines. 
that shut down inappropriate alarm reactions or by utilizing other technologies that change the way the brain organizes information. And number three, bottom up, by allowing the body to have experiences that deeply and viscerally contradict the helplessness, rage, or collapse that result from trauma. Which one of these is best for any particular survivor is an empirical question. Flexibility. Now that is the hallmark of imagination. Most people simply keep replaying an old reel. Imagination is absolutely critical to the quality of our lives. Our imagination enables us to leave our routine everyday existence by fantasizing about travel, food, sex, falling in love, or having the last word. All the things that make life interesting. Imagination gives us the opportunity to envision new possibilities, and it is an, an essential launch pad for making our hopes and dreams come true. It fires up our creativity. It relieves our boredom. It alleviates our pain. It enhances our pleasure, and it enriches our most intimate relationships. When people are compulsively and constantly pulled back into the past, to the time they last time felt intense involvement and deep emotions, they suffer from a failure of imagination, a loss of mental flexibility. Without imagination, there is no hope, no chance to envision a better future, no place to go, no goal to reach. The imprint of trauma on the mind, the brain, and the body has ongoing consequences for how the human organism manages to survive in the present. Trauma results in a fundamental reorganization of the way mind and brain manage perception. It changes not only how we think and what we think about, but also our very capacity to think. For real change to take place, the body needs to learn that the danger has passed and to live in the reality of the present. Most human suffering is related to love and loss. And the job of a therapist is to help people acknowledge, experience, and bear the reality of life with all its pleasures and heartbreak. The greatest source of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. We need to be reminded, if not urged, to be honest with ourselves about every facet of our experience. People can never get better without knowing what they know and feeling what they feel. Healing depends on experiential knowledge. You can be fully in charge of your life only if you can acknowledge the reality of your body in all its visceral dimensions. In many places, drugs have displaced therapy and enabled patients to suppress their problems without really addressing the underlying issues. After conducting numerous studies of medications for PTSD, a realization comes obvious. The psychiatric medications have a serious downside, as they may deflect attention from dealing 
with the underlying issues. The brain disease model takes control over people's faith out of their own hands, and then puts doctors and insurance companies in charge of fixing their problems. The brain disease model overlooks four fundamental truths. Number one, our capacity to destroy one another is matched by our capacity to heal one another. Restoring relationships and community is central to restoring well-being. Number two, language gives us the power to change ourselves and others by communicating our experiences, helping us to define what we know, and finding a common sense of meaning. Number three, we have the ability to regulate our own physiology, including some of these so-called involuntary functions of the body and the brain, through such basic activities as breathing, moving, and touching. And number four, we can change social conditions to create environments in which children and adults can feel safe and where they can thrive. When we ignore these quintessential dimensions of humanity, we deprive people of ways to heal from trauma and restore their autonomy. The stress hormones for traumatized people take much longer to return to baseline and spike quickly and disproportionately in response to mildly stressful stimuli. The insidious effect of constantly elevated stress hormones include memory and attention problems, irritability, and sleep disorders. They also contribute to many long-term health issues, depending on which body system is most vulnerable in a particular individual. Their body registers the threat, but their conscious minds go on as if nothing has happened. However, even though the mind may learn to ignore the message from the emotional brain, the brain, the alarm signals, they do not stop. The emotional brain keeps working, and stress hormone keeps sending signals to the muscle to tense for action or immobilize in collapse. The physical effects on the organs go on unabated until they demand notice when they are expressed as illness. The body continues to keep the score. After trauma, the world is experienced with a different nervous system. The survivor's energy now becomes focused on suppressing inner chaos at the expense of spontaneous involvement in their lives. These attempts to maintain control over unbearable psychological reactions can result in a whole range of physical symptoms, including fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and other autoimmune disease. This explains why it is critical for trauma treatment to engage the entire organism, body, mind, and brain, effectively dealing with stress. <coughs> depends upon achieving a balance between the smoke detector and the watchtower, if you want to manage your emotions better. Your brain gives you two 
options. You can learn to regulate them from the top down or from the bottom up. Top-down regulation involves strengthening the capacity of the watchtower to monitor your body's sensations. Mindfulness, meditation, and yoga can help you with this. Bottom-up regulation involves recalibrating the autonomic nervous system, which originates in the brain stem, and we can access the ANS through breath, movement, and touch. Breathing is one of the few body functions under both conscious and autonomic control. For people that have experienced trauma that started out there, it is now played out on the battlefield of their own bodies, usually without a conscious connection between what happened back then and what is going on right now inside. The challenge is not so much learning to accept the terrible things that have happened, but learning how to gain mastery over one's internal sensations and emotions. Sensing, naming, and identifying what is going on inside is the first step to recovery. Being able to feel safe with other people is probably the single most important aspect of mental health. Safe connections are fundamental to meaningful and satisfying lives. Numerous studies of disaster response around the globe have shown that social support is the most powerful protection against becoming overwhelmed by stress and trauma. The body keeps the score. If the memory of trauma is encoded in the viscera, in heartbreaking and gut-wrenching emotions, in autoimmune disorders and skeletal and muscular problems, and if mind-brain-visceral communication is the royal road to emotion regulation, then this demands a radical shift in our therapeutic assumptions. Sometimes we use our mind not to discover facts, but to hide them. One of the things the screen of our eyes hides most effectively is the body, our own body, by which I mean the ends of it, the interiors, like a veil thrown over the skin to secure its modesty. The screen partially removes from the mind the inner states of the body, those that constitute the flow of life as it wanders in the journey of each day. We believe we have defined mental illness. However, given the complexity of mind, brain, and human attachment systems, we have not come even close to achieving that sort of precision, understanding what is wrong with people. Currently, is more a question of the mindset of the practitioner and of what the insurance companies will pay for than it is of verifiable objective facts. We all know how fickle memory is. Our stories change, and they're, they're constantly revised and updated. When I talk to family members about events in my childhood, we oftentimes end up feeling like we grew up in different families. So many of our memories simply do not match. Such autobiographical memories are not precise reflections of reality, they are stories. We tell to convey our personal take on our experience. The extraordinary capacity of the human mind is to rewrite memory. When we remember a particular event at all, 
and how accurate our memories of it are. It largely depends on how personally meaningful it was and how emotional we felt about it at the time. When something terrifying happens, like seeing a child or a friend get hurt in an accident, we will retain an intense and largely accurate memory of the event for a long time. Traumatized people simultaneously remember too little and too much. Traumatic memories are precipitated by specific triggers. Traumatic memory is not condensed. Ordinary memory is essentially social. It is a story that we tell for a purpose, but there is nothing social about traumatic memory. Reenactments are frozen in time, unchanging, and they are always lonely, humiliating, and alienating experiences. Dissociation prevents the trauma from becoming integrated with the conglomerated, ever-shifting stories of autobiographical memory, in essence creating a dual memory system. Normal memory integrates the elements of each experience into the continuous flow of self-experience by a complex process of association. If the problem with PTSD is dissociation, the goal of treatment would be association, integrating the cut-off elements of the trauma into the ongoing narrative of life so that the brain can recognize that that was then. But this, this is now. Unless there is an energetic reaction to the traumatic event, the effect remains attached to the memory and it cannot be discharged. The reaction can be discharged by an action, from tears to acts of revenge. There have in fact been hundreds of scientific publications spanning well over a century documenting how the memory of trauma can be repressed, only to resurface years or decades later. There are two major differences between how people talk about memories of positive versus traumatic experiences. Number one, how the memories were organized, and number two, their physical reactions to them. Those are different. Nobody can treat a war, or abuse, rape, molestation, or any other horrendous event for that matter. What has happened cannot be undone. But what can be dealt with are the imprints of the trauma on the body, the mind, and the soul, the crushing sensations in your chest that you may label as anxiety or depression, the fear of losing control, always being on alert for danger or reaction, the self-loathing, the nightmares and flashbacks, the fog that keeps you from staying on task and engaging fully in what you are doing, being unable to fully open your heart to another human being. The challenge of recovery is to re-establish ownership of your body and your mind, of yourself. This means feeling free to know what you know and to feel what you feel, without becoming overwhelmed, enraged, ashamed, or collapsed. For most people, 
This involves finding a way to become calm and focused. Learning to maintain calm in response to images, thoughts, sounds, or physical sensation that remind you of the past. Finding a way to be fully alive in the present and engaged with the people around you. Not having to keep secrets from yourself, including secrets about the ways that you have managed to survive. In contrast with the rational brain, which expresses itself in thoughts, the emotional brain manifests itself in physical reactions, gut-wrenching sensations, heart-pounding, breathing becoming fast or shallow, feelings of heartbreak, speaking with an uptight and loud voice. And the characteristic body movements that signify collapse, rigidity, rage, or defensiveness. The neuroscientist Joseph Ledoux and his colleagues have shown that the only way we can consciously access the emotional brain is through self-awareness, i.e. by activating the medial prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain which notices what is going on inside us and thus allow us to feel what we are feeling. The technical term for this is interoception, Latin for looking inside. Neuroscience research shows that uh, the only way we can change the way we feel is by becoming aware of our inner experience and learning to befriend what is going on inside ourselves. When we pay focused attention to our bodily sensation, we can recognize the ebb and flow of our emotions and with that, increase our control over them. One way to think of this process of transformation is to think of mindfulness as a lens. Taking these scattered and reactive energies of your mind and then focusing them into a coherent source of energy for living, for problem solving, for healing. Antidepressants, antipsychotics, sedatives, hypnotics, or other controlled substances, drugs, cannot cure trauma. They can only dampen the expressions of a disturbed psychology, and they do not teach the lasting lessons of self-regulation. They can help to control feelings and behavior, but always at a price, because they work by blocking the chemical systems that regulate engagement, motivation, pain, and pleasure. We possess two distinct forms of self-awareness, one that keeps track of the self across time, and one that registers the self in the present moment. The first, our autobiographical self, creates connections among experiences and assembles them in a coherent story. The system is rooted in language. Our narratives change with the telling as our perspective changes, as we incorporate new input. Now the other system, moment-to-moment -moment self-awareness, is based primarily in physical sensations. But if we feel safe, or not rushed, then we can find words to communicate that experience as well. Most of us are better at describing someone else 
than we are at describing ourselves. Harvard psychologist Jerome Kagan says, the task of describing the most private experiences can be likened to reaching down to a deep well to pick up a small, fragile, crystalline figure while you're wearing thick leather mittens. We can get past the slipperiness of the words by engaging the self-observing, body-based self-system which speaks through sensation, tone of voice, and body tension. Being able to perceive visceral sensation is the very foundation of emotional awareness. As we begin to re-experience a visceral reconnection with the needs of our bodies, there's a brand new capacity to warmly love the self. We experience a new quality of authenticity in our caring, which redirects our attention to our health, our diets, our energy, our time management. This enhances care for the self, and it arises spontaneously and naturally, not as a response to a should. We're able to experience an immediate and intrinsic pleasure in self-care. Gain or regain the relationship with the interior world and with it a caring, loving, sensual relationship to the self. If you're not aware of what your body needs, you cannot take care of it. If you do not feel hunger, you cannot nourish yourself. If you mistake anxiety for hunger, you may eat too much. And if you can't feel when you are satisfied, you will keep eating. This is why cultivating sensory awareness is such a critical aspect of trauma recovery. The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their attitudes of mind. William James. It is not that something different is seen, but that one sees differently. It is as though the spatial act of seeing were changed by a new dimension. Carl Jung. This being human is a guest house. Every morning is a new arrival. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and entertain them all. Treat each guest honorably. The dark thought, the shame, the malice. Meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Be grateful for whoever comes, because each has been sent as a guide from beyond Rumi. And there you have it. The body keeps the score. Please do help out. It is easy. Simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and do share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date. And the link to this book is in the description below, so buy it and read. Never stop learning.
especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and find out what actually motivates you. What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management even further, do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. Thank you. Love and respect.